Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We are brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early stage startup or still in ideation, then Launchpan is the course that's designed for you. All of the basics and more, saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching and growing your food, beverage, or small goods business. More details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clare, and I'm welcoming today to the program Isabella Bella Hughes. Bella's career spans the arts, culture, agriculture, and entrepreneurship. She is the president and co-founder of Shaka Tea, an award-winning movement brand sharing herbal teas brewed with mamaki, an ancient super leaf found only in the Hawaiian Islands that supports sustainable agriculture. It's now available across the U.S. and in Japan, and Shaka Tea recently won Best Beverage 2020 and a Gold Superior Award by American Masters of Taste, Chefs in America, and is also a 2020 InnoBev Awards finalist. Bella has been a member of the 2018 Pacific Business News 40 Under 40 and a winner of the Food Bites Judge's Choice Award, as well as winner of Burt's Bees Natural Launchpad Cohort 3 and a member of Plug and Play Ventures Food Batch 6, those great people in the Bay Area. In addition to her work with Shaka T, she previously spent the decade in the arts and culture field and is the co-founder of Director Emeritus of Hawaii Contemporary and served on the Hawaii Technology Development Corporation Board. That's an awful lot of stuff. Welcome to the program, Bella. Aloha and good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. And uh, in fact, are, are, are you, we enjoying this podcast in the islands as we speak? We are. I am based out of Hilo, located on the big island of Hawaii. And apologies in advance for any bird noises. I don't have pet birds. Uh, my windows are shut, but uh, there are a lot of beautiful chirping sounds outside, and it's single wall construction here in the islands. <laughs> so, and they they just live there. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole point, right? They do, they do, and I and I've recorded a few podcasts or videos where I'm, I've sent in a, a couple of sentences, and on past occasions I've been asked to re-record and to please cover my birds. So <laughs> I feel now it's more prudent to start any conversation acknowledging the birds that, outside. That they're there, okay, folks. So now now you understand if there's any of those chirping noises, we're not we're not playing with you here. So, Bella, talk to us a little bit, I, I think, to start off with, um, you know, we have people coming to food and beverage from a lot of different areas, um, and obviously you have some pretty uh, pretty good experience within culture and arts. Um, how did you make the move, or what was the, the, uh, the issue that you decided to go into beverage? Yeah, that's a really great question, since my background seems at surface so varied. Um, but, you know, I've always been in art and culture because I saw it as a vehicle for authentic story shelling, uh, sharing, sorry, authentic story sharing. And, and what, I, what I really was focused on for my decade in arts and culture was primarily uh, working with Kanaka Maoli, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and Middle Eastern artist. And I lived and worked all over the world. I actually spent six years in the United Arab Emirates. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Based with my co-founder and my husband, Harrison Rice. And, you know, long story short, one of the things I noticed is 
just the tremendous interest in Hawaii. When I used to be on the panel route as a, as a curator and an arts professional, I always uh, felt a little embarrassed to to say, you know, be the first person to go and to say I was from Hawaii. I was born and raised in Honolulu on Oahu. Um, because then people, even though we were there to talk about something quite serious and academic, were, were inclined to really want to talk about beautiful Hawaii. Um, and so all that being all that being said, I realized that at the end of the day, um, my great passion for art and culture, it, it really was rooted, especially when it comes to Hawaii, um, in, in doing something for my community. I'm very, very committed to where I'm from, and, and Hawaii is an incredible place, but we also have a lot of challenges here in the islands. And probably the biggest challenge I see um, is really economic development. And we have cycles of poverty. When I was a little girl, it was all about mono cropping, big ag, sugarcane, and pineapple. Um, that has since been moved off island. And we've got such a rich culture of abundance, especially in terms of uh, you know, mineral rich volcanic soil, you can grow so much here, but not a lot of high value export crops. Um, and then increasingly, as my interests uh, became rooted in not just economic growth, but also sustainability, um, you know, it, it really started as this, this idea of what brand could could Harrison and I together create? Because we've always wanted to work together, and we are, are big fans of food and beverage um, that could do something good for Ina. Ina is the land. Do something good for our community um, with economic growth and paying farmers a premium, and then at the same time uh, do something good for consumers off island. Because one of the inherent challenges of being based in Hawaii is obviously our population is quite small. It's about 1.3 million. So to really make your mark and obviously uh, grow into a large profitable brand, you need a larger market size to address. So I'd say those those were like the ethos, but you know, at my core, I've always been a storyteller. That's what I did in art and culture, and and in a very humble way, a shaka tea through a bottle of tea is is also sharing a story. Right, and that's that's one of the things I remember when I first, which I think was about two or possibly even three years ago at at Expo West. And, and tasting it and seeing, first of all, the artwork with, on the bottles and stuff, which is great, but also that there was this kind of u really unique taste and unique story, you know, uh, to the to the brand. Did you, is, is this a beverage that you guys invented or is this a beverage that's enjoyed by people in the island and, and, and you adopted it? How'd that work? Yeah, it definitely. Is the, is the adopted. So, so mamakulis are the rarest herbal tea in the world because they are endemic. So they're only found and grown in the Hawaiian archipelago. And the closest relative for mamaki would be the nettle family. But as the islands don't have any land predators, mamaki evolved here um, without any of the stingers. So you can easily <laughs> harvest it. Yeah. And that, that that's funny because there are places that that in this, this the the forty eight that we do brew some people a nettle tea, but you got to be very careful about harvesting. Exactly, exactly, and and traditionally mamaki has been used in Native Hawaiian medicine, la'au, lapa'au, 
um, for its health properties. And, you know, being born and raised here, you know, mamaki was just a known tea. It was good for your health. But when I especially got into drinking it was when I was pregnant. Um, both my kids were born in Dubai, and I would come home and probably set the world record for bringing back with me mamaki tea leaves uh, to the United Arab Emirates. And I developed an aversion to sugar through my pregnancies. I used to be quite the little sugar addict. Um, although I was raised healthy, I did enjoy, you know, an afternoon sugary sweet. Um, all that yep. being said, I was able to find a lot of the tropical fruits. I could only really take in like natural fruit sugars. Cane sugar just made me feel unwell. And living in the UAE, we could find guavas and mangoes from India, uh, lily koi uh, in Hawaiian, uh, that's passion fruit in English, we could get that from Kenya, and I just mix up fruit puree with huge jugs of mamaki tea, um, and I think that was definitely uh, some of the very early impetus of, of starting this, um, and then the more we looked into the tea space, one of the things that really struck us as avid tea drinkers was just in terms of RTD tea, what was ready to drink, brewed and bottled, you kind of had two things going on. Um, you either had unsweetened tea fully that doesn't tend to appeal to most palates since sugar has been hiding in food everywhere for the past 50 years. Yep. And then on the other end, you had teas that were extremely sweet. You might as well be drinking a soda. Some literally had more sugar um, you know, per serving than a soda. And brands that were all over the place. One skew was zero, one was 30 calories, one was 90, one 120. So we saw we saw an opportunity to, um, you know, reflect um, and support Hawaii agriculture and, and really make our mark in that broad tea space. And, and did you guys start in sort of the traditional way of like, local at farmers markets or did you approach a local retailer or how did you branch it out from friends and family to consumers in general yeah we this was actually our second foray into food and beverage um i'd say our first one it was an ice cream company it's where we learned a lot of our lessons okay. early on about the need to co-pack um and be designed to scale and get supply chain together but we'll definitely get into supply chain on this conversation i built it from scratch so that's a whole nother story um but all that being shared are you know what we did know is well, Hawaii is quite small, 1.3 million. We need to figure out a way to co-pack it. And really early on rooted our ethos was how can we connect local supply chain to global demand and, and really live our values, our whole company is rooted on be the aloha. The be the aloha movement, aloha is goodness, love, respect, humility, kindness, we practice that from everything we do, from the way we practice sustainable agriculture, paying farmers a premium, uh, and creating a product that customers can trust that's always zero calories, zero gram sugar. Um, and so to really live that be the aloha in the way we saw it, uh, finding a co-packer on the U.S. continent was critical. Right. So we launched this. Yeah, we moved back home, and we put our life savings into 18,000 bottles. And Stephen, you know, for being in the industry, 18,000 is probably the world's smallest order. But for us, it was everything, and we didn't have sure. a single account signed. All right. That's that's going all in. <laughs> it, it's going all in. And we had a, we had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, we had 
saved up about one year's of life savings. And we were nearly certain um, in our very, very naive ways that within a year, the business would, would at least be breaking even. Um, but it was, in retrospect, absolutely terrifying uh, to have 18,000 bottles and not a single store signed. Folks, don't do this at home, okay? These are professionals, and they've done it, but not not suggested for everyone out there. That this is the way you jump into the food business. So, but you have the eighteen thousand. Are the eighteen thousand bottles in this in landside or in the they islands? Are, at this point, they're they're in the islands. We wow. we rent a small shared um, warehouse space from a Wahoo Fresh Hub. We originally launched the company in my hometown in Honolulu. And it was really Harrison and I, the two kids in the back seat, driving around the island um, and, and going in and selling. And I remember the very first account, it's this James Beard-nominated chef, Ed Kenny, um, and Natalie Axon at the time was doing all his buying. And it was it was a little bit of kismet because he's definitely the kind of restaurateur with the town hospitality group that if you could say early on, we're, we're in the Ed Kenny restaurants in Hawaii, um, you know, it would give you some cred, like this must be a good product. Sure. Um, he's three or four restaurants and, and a number of, of local and national celebrities eat there. And he's just a really great chef. So uh, somehow she had come across my husband's business card. And I guess, um, you know, the fact that it was, you know, herbal tea brewed with mamaki was of interest. And I walked in with my son. Uh, he handed the, the cell sheet, uh, which was hideous and very poorly designed. And I made that I made that pitch. But that was the very first store. And um, it was it was brought into a restaurant um, at the kind of key superette. And then his new uh, Mahina incense at the time, it was a new restaurant. He was opening at the Surf Jack Hotel in Waikiki. And then after that, we, we went to natural co-ops. Um, we eventually got into some of our major grocery chains here in the islands, Foodland and Times. But right. in our first year in business, this is 2016, we, we launched at the very end of March. By the end of the first year, we'd personally signed 70 accounts, and we were um, we were in business. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> a great story. Um, as, but as long as we're here – the um the idea again of producing something in the islands and shipping shipping glass to the mainland not not a profitable idea so why don't we dive into how you built that supply chain and and basically how it functions now that you're in so many stores here in the US yep Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, again, really going back to this Be the Aloha movement um, and, and this really radical idea for Hawaii in terms of agriculture and consumer goods. Um, one of the early talking points that I used to really, you know, pitch on stage circa 20, late 2016, 2017 entrepreneurial competitions was the tremendous power of the Hawaiian brand. Um, in my former arts and culture life, whether I was in Herbally Rock talking about empowering women and gender equality through art, taking major art collectors around Art Basel Hong Kong, or opening a show I created in Washington, D.C., I could almost every time find consumer goods kind of marketed as Hawaiian and everybody globally really just knows Hawaii, probably something due to Pan Am Jet Age and, and Hollywood movies. <laughs> 
Um, and, and it's quite, you know, oftentimes a, a, as someone who, who really spent much of their career in, in, in post-colonial critique in art and culture, a problematic voyeuristic um, idea of consumption of Hawaii. But all that being said, it's a powerful brand. And here was Shakati and the opportunity was to, quote unquote, um, in, a, in our in our value system, really do it right. Um, all that being said, one of the things that I, I really failed to breathe in in those primordial beginnings and, and really over time by 20, late 2017, early 2018, it became core, was that the problem about the Hawaii brand in terms of the products that are founded and, and, and or created here locally is that they, they tend to be really focused on the permutization. So really expensive products that oftentimes don't have a daily usage occasion. So perhaps not the highest velocity and economically, you know, pre this, this, this incredible recession, um, and, and really, really tragic moment that we're in right now, yeah. already statistically, over 70% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, so, and, and, so and it, that's tough for very expensive. Amazing yeah. And that's tough for yeah. uh, everyone involved in, you know, because of the, the way the food chain can be so easily affected by something like a pandemic or panic buying or, you know, all of these, you know, all these other things. So if you're, a grower, right, and and uh, people for some reason don't want to pay that whatever it is eighteen ninety five or nine ninety five or whatever it 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 has a very serious effect back on those on those folks in that in that chain at the beginning especially. Oh, absolutely, and 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 I think like that's been one of the things that's concerned me about the future. Um, you know, especially on on the Big Island. You know, if if most of the if most of the products are this very very high premium category, um, and I love these products, and and I do enjoy them from time to time, even though they're often a little bit out of my entrepreneurial budget at this moment in my <laughs> life. But um, you know, how can we really create? abundance. That's one of my favorite words, economic abundance for our people. If the products are so expensive, the market is so small and to your point, very volatilely connected to, uh, you know, economics at play that are beyond the islands. So the reason Shaka Tea, you know, you know, was founded on the ethos of local supply to global demand and this co-packing model. Um, one of the things that again, you know, circulate 2017, early 2018, became really, really a defining part of our brand was how do we create excessively priced premium products and and really make that for all Americans. And a lot of that starts back to when we started our business and how prohibitively expensive it became for our family of four to buy healthy beverages. Um, You know, a lot of beverages were four to $10 that were better for you. Mm -hmm. Our project is clean label, uh, project non-GMO verified, you know, everything comes literally from a plant. We're 100% plant-based and sustainably sourced, ethically grown. And how do we bring that at a price point that you can afford every day? And so co-packing on the U.S. continent um, and knowing that basically the opportunity to build the brand was in large markets really, really was key. And we are really proud that, um, you know, we're, we're able to be at a very, very healthy margin, well over the 50%. Um, with our glass product 
and we have a price that is that average usage occasion. Um, we probably hit most stores. The average price is two twenty nine across the continental U.S., but our official SRP um, is one ninety eight at Walmart to two forty nine, maybe in those more premium upscale markets, and and that's a pretty big pretty big shift in what you've been seeing a lot of better for you you know specialty products so uh, that, that would be correct <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is that is on the less expensive side for sure especially for something that is as clean label and healthy as as shaka tea well thank you yeah it's something we're extremely proud about and and that's why setting up from an early early stage the concept of co-packing that's actually how we do it in japan now so we ship the namaki leaves which is what we grow here on hawaii island the big island, also known as the big island and we cut it and then we ship that to japan where it's brewed and co-packed we do that for north america out of california and we're opening up some additional co-packing relationships um, as we continue to scale and expand um, that's how we can live our highest mission. And in terms of velocity, you know, have that nice velocity turn that ultimately results in, in really being that aloha for our community of farmers. We work with right now a dozen small local farms. Um, their average size is probably two to five acres. Um, and that's really, really powerful and incredible for us. I'm, I'm sure that there are, you know, fellow entrepreneurs and stuff out there wondering, so, okay, you guys are, you, you, you did your, um, your due diligence at the beginning and you, you know, you vested your 18,000 bottles, you went out and got your accounts. Now let's talk about how you and Harrison got to the mainland and how did you approach retail in the mainland with Shaka Tea? Yeah, that's a great question. And and for us, it, it's been an interesting sort of, you know, hypothesis rooted in our brand is, is our mission, our commitment to our community, but very much from day one, knowing the way we're able to do that is by going to the continent and beyond, because that's how we can build the brand. So going to, to the U.S. continent was like literally the goal from day one. It was about building up uh, a somewhat, you know, sort of a, what they like to say is like, you know, inch wide, mile deep market story in our home market. Right. Um, one of the benefits of, of being in Hawaii is as our economy has been largely tourism driven is that we were able to get feedback early days. Harrison and I, oh my God, we must have done no over exaggeration here. I, I'd like to say a thousand demos. We probably did 500 demos, but it felt like a thousand. Um, yeah. And 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 all that was because we did a, a, a myriad of odd jobs on the side, everything from Lyft driving to to uh, PR consulting. But that's a whole nother story of the side hustles to get you where you need to grow. Um, so we were able to get feedback. We got feedback uh, primarily from from potential customers on the West Coast that were here on holiday. We got feedback um, heavily from the Japanese market. And what we learned early on was that to get a meeting with a buyer, you definitely needed to meet them. Cold emails were not that effective. Randomly on an occasion through LinkedIn stalking, I'd get a response. Um, and so, you know, largely reading tra trade publications like BevNet um, and uh, food and beverage uh, magazines online, it yep. became apparent yep. there was the concept of the trade show and, and largely Expo West and we needed to go. Um, so we went to Expo for the very first time in 2018 um 2018 was our first i think yeah 2018 yeah, 
Yeah. And, and that would be, that would be the time that we were, you know, working our booth, never been to, never been to a trade show in the industry of that size and scale. We'd only done local ones here in Hawaii. And that was where uh, oh. we first started doing our, our pitches. And the biggest goal was to get um, obviously distribution because accounts, what we learned really early in our home market in Hawaii is, uh, after a while, they don't want an entrepreneur to be self-distributing out of the back of their very small car. We didn't even have a truck. Right. So that was the goal, that was the goal circa 2018. Um, how do we get Unify and Kehi to come aboard? So the retailers that had uh, expressed interest early on um, in Shaka through largely attending Expo West, we would be able to service them. And were you taken aback by Expo West when you got there? I, I was, I was taken aback. Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite the large show and, um, you know, being based out of not a major large market, um, we tend to perhaps see a bit, there's a bit of delay in terms of a lot of the new brands and product concepts. It was, it was a lot of fun though. It was like walking through, I read about you, I read about you. And, you know, here you are, here are the brands, the great energy of the entrepreneurs, um, and, and connecting, uh, with so many, so many really just inspiring entrepreneurs. That's always one of my favorite, favorite parts of being in the industry. Um, that's sort of, we're all in the trenches together mentality and, and there's so much kindness and helpfulness. I really, really, uh, you know, have to say with this industry that everyone, I have met has been extremely generous with their advice, uh, their contacts. There's there's definitely a culture of paying it forward. So everyone who's ten steps ahead uh, is paying it back, and it's something that Harris and I have definitely uh, you know continued to do as we scale and grow. Yeah, and that's it's awesome. It was it was certainly missed this year as uh, as Expo East is going to be missed as well. And then uh, because it was going to Philadelphia this year, which would be a whole uh, new vibe. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens in, you know, going forward 2021. Um, Bella, one of the things that we, you know, we all, we all know drives business and growth. And, and, and especially, again, here, you guys are kind of doing this from, from the islands, basically back over to the mainland. Um, how did you address basically getting capital together and funding for the growth? Yeah. And that again was in our very naive ways. Cause you're not talking, we had an unsuccessful, I like to underscore that ice cream company venture before we did. <laughs> That's right. tea. Um, so we're not exited founders that could, you know, reinvest our own money and, and we don't come from family money that when people like to say, well, what about your friends and family around? Very, very honored that some of my mentors um, who had seen me build Hawaii Contemporary, um, formerly known as the Honolulu Biennial, came in came in early, um, which was really great. But we've basically been pitching since uh, November 2016. We've been in business almost six months then, and it became apparent that we needed to rebrand. We launched in in the basic Snapple bottle with um, a very folksy homemade label that uh, we had bl being black. We thought black would look really different on the shelf. What we didn't realize was after you pulled one or two SKUs, uh, and of course grocery stores are, are busy stocking 50,000 products. No one's like, oh my goodness, we're the two shaka teas bottles have been pulled. Let's push the rest to the front to see it. But you know, the story here, the tangent is that black doesn't catch light as well right. in display cases and refrigeration. So um, at the end of 2016, we 
largely, I've just always been, I think it's from my former life in academia and art and culture, a voracious researcher. That's one of my favorite things to do. And so came across something called NCN, Nutrition Capital Network. Um, the biggest thing is we were going there to raise some angel investment for, I think we were raising like 200, 200 grand, was to do a, a, a rebrand and then to support getting uh, getting some very, very focused growth on the U.S. continent. Uh, so we went there and we raised our first, our first, um, you know, angel money, about a quarter million dollars from two angels um, based out there. Uh, Michael Hammer, who formerly was at PepsiCo, and, and Grant Ferrier, who is the founder of NCN and NBJ Nutrition Business Journal. Um, we were able to do our rebrand with that, really spent a lot of 2016, 20, uh, 2017, 2018 uh, doing that rebrand, and then working to get that distribution, unifying Kehi Broadlines, so we could then really launch on the continent. Um, but ever since then, uh, after that first initial angel investment, and we had some story, we had some market traction, we were distributed back then. Our distributor was called Paradise Beverages. And for the first two years with them, 2017 and 2018, we were the best new non-alc brand in terms of velocity sales. Yeah. And we had no marketing money. So we were beating continental brands coming to Hawaii to launch with a ton of marketing money and it was just us and you know when they say this is really a data game and you come in this with so much passion about uh, really wanting to you know do this different business model of agriculture for your community um, you can it is all about that but to get investment capital largely it is a data game so we had the data and that ended up um, resulting in a number of mentors uh, based in Hawaii and on the U.S. continent, coming in for subsequent sort of angel seed rounds to help our growth. Yeah, because it's it's so necessary to, as we 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 talk about, you know, getting product on shelf is certainly an accomplishment, but getting the product off the shelf ends up being the real challenge. And unfortunately, some of that takes um, takes capital to do. Just there are functions of whether it's demos or whether it's, uh, you know, different trial mechanisms or promotions to get people to try um, any product that all is, uh, uh, you know, costs money. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand how much money it costs to really, to really do that. So it's like, I got the order. Great. Now what do I do? So you know. exactly, exactly. And, and one of the things that's, I think been really important about the partnership with Harris and I is we both live very much in our lanes early on. We realized whom was good at what, um, obviously there's that deeper level of trust. We are married. We've been together for 14 years. We have children. Um, but we really live in our lanes and we do what we do what we do very well and we're very hyper aware of what we don't know. Um, and so I was out there largely doing all the selling and the pitching, whether it was investors or accounts. And then he was there doing logistics operations and, and, you know, long-term uh, financial planning for, for our business. So it's been a really great partnership. Um, but you know, we recently, uh, closed up, I call it probably our first professional round. Um, so right. we, we've never, we've never raised seven figures before we've been quite bootstraps. And a lot of that was also because, um, until this year, um, we had to grow out the Mamaki supply chain from scratch. So even if we'd wanted to become one of those like unicorn growth story brands, oh, then, yeah wasn't supply chain there. I had to immerse myself um, the past five years. We've been in business four, but five years really working on this 
in in learning everything I could as a former art historian and art critic um, about agriculture and how do we take mamaki, this endemic plant that largely hasn't been, um, you know, farmed uh, and, and turn it into a commercial crop and then share that knowledge um, and create a hui, a community of farmers around that. So right. this is really uh, a great time to have, have raised we raised 2.3 million, um, and and we're able now to really, really uh, grow significantly on the U.S. continent because the supply chain is there to support that growth. And when you, you know, first came over and uh, you know again planning this assault on the mainland, um, on the retail side, who, first of all, who did you start out with? Where did you get your best, you know, uh, kickstart, if you will, from on the retail side? And can you tell us a little bit about where you're available now so that people have an interest can can find it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our first big account uh, was Cost Plus World Market. Okay. And that was really, really incredible because overnight we were able to be in nearly 40 states. One of the early things that we'd, you get a lot of advice when you're, entrepreneur, when you're an entrepreneur, I think it's important to listen to all of it, but at the end of the day, you're the one living and breathing your business yes. literally like 20 hours a day because you're probably awake thinking about it at night in those, in those early anxiety-ridden years. Um, so it's great to listen to all of that, but at the end, make your assessments um, on, on what's going to work for your brand. And one of the things we heard, which was, we've gotten a lot of great advice, but one of the poor pieces of advice was, oh, your brand's only going to work on the West Coast. And, you know, of course, you know, going back to my former life, very global in our culture and, and just the awareness and the prevalence of sort of the bastardized wine brands globally, I knew that was not the case. Um, and ultimately, what we're speaking about is something so much bigger. We are rooted in Hawaii, but we bring to the table uh Clean label, zero calories, zero gram sugar tea that complements every mindful eater, whether someone is keto, plant-based, caffeine-free, low-carb, intermittent fasters can enjoy us. It's a very loyal community. <laughs> Check it off. Yep. Check it off at an accessible price point that results in everyday usage occasion in the second most consumed beverage after water tea. Um, so, you know, we always knew that the brand would work and have legs far beyond the West Coast. And that was what was really fantastic about World Market, because um, overnight we were able to get some early data. This was this was 20, 2018, um, late 2018 that we launched there across all these states and across um, we launched the dead of <laughs> in the cold season, right? <laughs> November quite cold, not not prime iced tea. We definitely do have a seasonal increase in sales and tra trajectory in the warmer months. Sure. Um, and we also were able to sell direct with them. So as any entrepreneur, selling direct is wow. obviously wow. one of the preferable ways to sell because you, you make more money. Yes. And we could see yes. how it performed. And the buyer um, at the time there was incredibly forthcoming with, with insight and intel. And, you know, she said that we were outperforming uh, everything but water. And she put us in the <laughs> beverage checkout. And I think World Market often brings products in and out. But we've been a continuous permanent item since then um so that's that's kind of our story and and that's kind of the alternative uh alternative channel alternative brand growth is uh and and it's it's one way to really do it because you also get a little more attention than you might get if you were just smack dab in the middle of a, a wegman's or a kroger um and yeah. the picture t today uh bella where is shakati available generally 
Yeah, so we are we are in over um, two thousand doors. We are everywhere from Sopac Whole Foods to um, select uh, Sopac Walmart's, Gelson's, Bristol Farms, Fraser Farms, Green Zebra. Uh, we are in uh, the Fresh Market. Uh, we also just got into our first Kroger test, uh, Harris Teeter. We're ah. within the Ahold, yeah, the Ahold Network um, at, at Giant uh, in, in the Mid-Atlantic region. Um, in the NCG Co-op Network, uh, GNC Stores. So that's just a, a little bit about about where wow. we are uh, today. And then what's what's been really uh, incredible to see we, we always had a website. It's uh, something we just built ourselves. We probably spent half an hour a week on anything e-com. And by that, I mean, we spent nothing. We, we really didn't do anything. It just lived there. So there was a way for a few people to order tea, um, as well as being on Amazon. But, you know, due to the change in consumer buying behaviors during this pandemic, we saw an organic 566% growth spike through DTC sales. Wow. Um, yeah. So we spent the past couple months working on rebuilding our website, streamlining, you know, drop shipping. And then we will be uh, launching our new website July 1st um, for a more streamlined experience. So that's and, another another way you can and, get shocked. And the address for people to find that for the website is? It's www.shakatea.com. Shakatea.com. Pretty simple. We can find it. Be great. Look at that. Exactly. Awesome. Um, so obviously, still some some uh, some retail and stuff to go in stateside. Um, Japan, Absolutely. very oh, very interesting, absolutely. a different type of um, of retail world there. But but obviously, a, a great great place for any type of tea. Um, what without getting anything pri- priority or. or um, proprietary or whatever. Are you planning some new products or new flavors or what's what's coming down the road a ways? Yeah, one of the biggest things for us, um, you know, to really, really build out the brand on the continental U.S. is, of course, DSD uh, distribution. So we are signing a number of DSDs and that's a big focus for us this year. Um, we have some really great authorization uh, nationally that'll that'll continue to be publicly announced um, as the year as the year continues, but there's just for me, even though it feels that I know my brand very well, um, you know, we're we're barely at two percent probably ACV. There's so much to scale it <laughs> and and grow it into, um, and so a lot of heavy focus on 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 really saturating key markets for us, which are primarily focused on really urban uh, urban cities right. um, across right. the coast this year, building out that DSD. Um, and then we do have a new product in development that will launch later this year that is probably um, our first foray really focused in into wellness, unlike our teas right now that are just better for you, you know, refreshing, hydrating products. Um, this one has a strong wellness wellness emphasis. Ah, good. Launching it just initially DTC on our website. Yeah. Oh, that will be, that will be fun. Yeah. A very good, uh, uh, a good aspect. And also uh, it can help broaden, um, you know, uh, broaden the consumer base a little bit too. Exactly. Exactly. Which is is great. Um, The other thing I was going to ask you about real quick was, so uh, once again, in terms of the growing and stuff on Hawaii, so you've been, doing both ends kind of you're also selling you're selling the product of course 
but also on the other end of the supply chain, um, again, I think you mentioned that you guys could could really impact the crop, as it were. And how are you working with farmers and stuff to make sure there's going to be sufficient crop and to make sure that that's sustainable? Yeah, wonderful question. So, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I think that when we started this, we we saw obviously scale and where it could grow to, um, but we were a bit shallow in terms of understanding how few people were growing mamaki. Um, there was one large, one large, you know, farm, probably the only very large dedicated mamaki farm. And by large, I mean, it was 20 acres. Um, unfortunately they ended up having some challenges and ended up and ended up largely shutting down and they weren't able to supply us. And so I threw myself into learning everything I could about growing this plant. Um, had so many kind mentors and, and help along the way. Everyone from uh, amazing Uncle George Kahumoku Jr., an incredible Hawaiian farmer um, who taught me about Hawaiian-style farming, gardening, and moon cycle, and planting. Then UH Ag, University of Hawaii's UH um, Ag yep. researchers, Jari Sugano, was really passionate about the Mamaki Project. She'd done all this research, and she hadn't even really been funded. It was just her on her own, um, traveling across three to four different islands and, and studying this. All that being said, some of our early angel investors, uh, Grant Ferrier, they ended up purchasing a 29-acre native rainforest farm. The Probably the hardest way to do agriculture is to restore a native rainforest. Mamaki is an understory plant, so that means it needs some shade. Right. And we're able to really utilize that as a teaching resource because I think when you're, you know, working to cajole farmers that were all very open to the idea, but they wanted to see how it could be done besides a couple bushes for personal usage, which is what tends to be very common here in Hawaii. Um, you know, we were removing the invasive uh, understory of Himalayan ginger and planting uh, endemic mamaki and their old growth koa trees and ohia that are all native uh, and endemic tree species here in the islands. And we hosted workshops for a number of years. I'd also go out into the community running workshops. Um, all that being said, since 2018, we've given away 25,000 free mamaki seedlings to get farmers started. Um, we now are getting one to two calls a week because there's so many benefits when you're growing mamaki. As it's an understory, most of our farmers are actually growing it under um, agroforestry systems. So they're growing uh, crops for food sovereignty that are edible here, whether it's fruits, moringa, breadfruit, and the mamaki is that understory high value export crop that we pay a premium price point for and we do all the processing. Um, and it also is a plant that brings back our native and endangered pollinator butterfly, the pulelehua. So, so many benefits to, to growing this. But when I take a moment and I take a breath, and I'm pretty high strung. And I'm like, oh, my God, we didn't just build a company with a really great data story nationally. Um, we've seen data sets that were, were, you know, top 20 brand in some in our category competing against major national multi-billion dollar, sure. you know, brands and corporations. Uh, but we built an entire economy around a crop that is only found here that just hadn't been really commercialized into a crop. Um, I, I'm like, whoa, we've done it actually quite a bit in four years, but being a competitive person, as I know most entrepreneurs are, um, it never feels, it never feels like enough. You're always going, uh, but I try to take a moment to, to breathe and, and ruminate on that. It's a, it, yeah. And it's a great, great story, Bella. Ab absolutely. And folks, by the way, it's, it's shakat.com and that's S H A K A 
T-E-A, just like Shaka T. You can find out more information about it. Bella, you know, we, we always try to, uh, um, we always try to pin down our guests after we've gone through a story and the details or whatever on, on a more philosophical kind of note. But the audience is, tends to be a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself. Um, if you could sum up a piece of advice or a, a, a word or a topic that people that are you know building a business need to keep in mind, what would that be? Yeah. Um, you know, I think probably, you know, on, on just an ethical level, I think as businesses, we all need to figure out how we can do the most possible good, um, and, and, and make capitalism a force for good. And I think a big thing is how we're sourcing our ingredients, paying farmers an equitable price point because healthy products, uh, belong to all Americans, uh, not just, you know, affluent ones. And I'm really, really pumped to see so many brands, um, really, really moving into that ethos. It's no more like, Oh, it's a premium product and it needs a premium price point. Um, so that's just on an ethical take of what we, all need to be doing to contributing uh, to to humanity and and society. But, you know, the number one just hard piece of advice that I've found um, a, a lesson to be learned was no matter what your story is, what your passion is, and why you create your product, you're competing for three seconds of a consumer's time. And the thing that's going to sell your product is the front label and why, the why it fits into their dietary lifestyle. So if you need to change your labels to perhaps not lead with your story, but lead to the why should I buy you, um, that's okay. And that's the example of Shaka Tea. We updated our branding, being the only one playing in Mamaki, that's a moment of what's that. Now the Mamaki story is on the back and what we do with Hawaii agriculture. The front just says very clearly zero calories, carbs, sugar, 100% plant-based. That's the why you buy. So again, oftentimes entrepreneurs founded out of passion or a mission. That might be a little hard a little hard piece of advice to take, but we've seen just incredible velocity moment uh, m- m- movement since we did that updated branding change. Absolutely. And I think that's, yeah, that's actually a very good advice because it's true. You can, even if you're in a larger, you know, a larger producer, um, still 90% of the decision making to buy the product, even the awareness of the product is actually going to come when the consumer sees it on a shelf or in a cooler somewhere. That's just, mm-hmm. it's just the way it works. So it figures out. So that's, that's really good. Well, I want to just say, you know, Bella, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today about Shaka and your story. It's, it's great. I think very inspiring for entrepreneurs and, and, uh, you know, I realize it's, uh, it's pretty early for you, but, uh, but, but thank you for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a great pleasure and really, really honored to have the opportunity to share a little bit about our story um, and have a wonderful rest of your day, Stephen. No Mahalo. problem. And I want to I want to say that uh, down the road, we will probably invite you back again to catch up on what's going on with Shaka T. And thanks, by the way, to all the rest of you for joining us here on the Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of courses, workshops, webinars, group, and one-on-one coaching for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more, check out the details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next.com 
with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.